I thought we'd start off with a wee game of uh, Linky. I don't know if you've played this before. Um, it's uh, sort of theme thing is four little questions, one big link. So the idea is that uh, I'll ask you four questions and uh, start at the answer if you know it. Uh, and then the four answers to each, each of those questions have a common theme. And so if you know the common theme, then shout out Linky, and then tell me the common theme. And a uh, bit of healthy competition, this side against that side. Are you ready? So, if you have trouble seeing things far away, you are something sighted. Short-sighted, well done. Beginning with S, and you can shout out Linky at any stage. Uh, beginning with S, what word describes the action of frightening a cat away? Shoe. Linky? Pastry, well done, brilliant. Point to that side. Fantastic, okay. You can tell the competitive juices are, are rising here, you can tell that. Okay, which white drink is available in full fat, semi-skimmed and skimmed? Milk. Pearls of something are important pieces of Information, pearls of wisdom. Linky, teeth, my, you're on a roll here, Paula. Fantastic, brilliant, well done. I'll, I'll look at this side here, see if we can get it. <laughs> Who famously lived at Green Gables? That's like, that was obviously like a chorus coming back. Uh, this one might not be known by everybody. Uh, name the character played by Viggo Morrison in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Aragorn, okay, well done. Or Aragorn, sorry. Henry VIII's wise, well done. One back for that side there, brilliant. I gave it away when I said Aragorn rather than Aragorn, didn't I? What is the staple diet of the giant panda? Bamboo. In the song American Pie, what were the good old boys drinking? Whiskey and? You all knew that one. There you go. What is the common form, the most common form of edible paper? Rice paper. The governing body for British tennis is the... Very close. We'll give it to you. Uh, it's different types of grass. Well, I think we're going to have to have a, going to have to have a cider now, aren't we? Okay. Anna Kornikova once appeared, oh, I'm not going to do that one, that's not, that's not a, that's not, we're not, we're not going to do that one, that's not appropriate. It's, I'm going off piece now, that's the problem, I've, uh, I haven't, haven't proofread all these questions here. Okay, here we go. Um, the French call this strip of water La Manche, what do we call it? English Channel. Liverpool is situated on which river? Mersey. Which is the highest mountain in the Alps? Mont Blanc. What category of instrument is a clarinet, oboe, and flute? Wind. Okay, here's the clue. Can you see the light at the end of this one? I think that's how I might have just pipped the post there. Well done. Fantastic. Well done. Good effort. So, um, what do we have in common as people gathered here today? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, so we, we are alive 
to the presence of God. We're alive to the presence of God in our lives. We are the body of Christ. Because what Paul says is that is what the body of Christ is. The body of Christ, he says, are all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up not of one part but of many. So the body of Christ of which we are a part is a body which is very, very diverse, and, uh, but we're one. And so Paul makes this comparison between the body of Christ and the human body and highlights the fact that we are, we are totally diverse and yet we are part of one unit. And what binds us together is the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ and He resides in us and among us. We are alive to the presence of God. We're all baptized into, uh, by one Spirit. We are all interdependent and uh, we're all different. So Paul says, there are many parts but one body. Now we may wonder, and Paul addresses two or three major things in this. One of the things he says is, well, what if we're part of the body and one of the things that concerns us most is, do we, do we make any unique contribution? Do we have anything to offer the body of Christ? And I imagine there are times for all of us in our lives, or this may be the thing that we struggle with most, where we think, do I really have anything to offer the body of Christ? Do I have a unique contribution to make? And Paul, in his analogy, says, well, that's a bit like an ear in the body saying to the eye, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. And Paul says, well, what, if everyone was an eye, where would the body be? And if we didn't have an ear, where, how would we hear? So what Paul is saying is, if you're an ear, celebrate the fact that you're an ear. Because where would the sense of the hearing be for the body if there wasn't an ear in the body? And so if your default is, I'm not an eye, I'm not valuable, I'm not part of the body, what Paul is saying is, you're extremely valuable. Or what if, and this is the other thing that Paul addresses is, what if one of the main challenges in our life is, is saying rather proudly, why aren't there more people like me? Why doesn't everyone share my opinion? And why doesn't everyone have the same gifts that I have? Wouldn't the world be a better place? Wouldn't the church be a better place if that were the case? And Paul is saying, that's a bit like the eye saying to the hand, I don't need you. And what Paul is showing us is that's a ridiculous place to be. And I, I imagine for all of us in our lives, we may fall into that trap as well, where somehow we value ourselves above other people. We don't quite understand how they tick and the specific unique gift they bring to the body of Christ. And all these things are very visible. Ears, eyes, hands. And, and quite often, it may be the most visible parts of the body that spend time thinking, yeah, yeah, I wonder, maybe, I, maybe I'm not valued, maybe I am valued. But Paul says, what about the internal organs and what about the parts of the body that we can see? Are they, are they not important? And Paul says, absolutely. The things that we can see, we treat with special modesty. 
and our internal organs, the thing you never, we never get to see, where, where would we be without a liver or without a small intestine? Hospital is one option. Um, heaven might be another. The reality is that the things, the parts of the body that we may hardly even recognize visibly and, and aren't up front, Paul is saying they're, they're extremely important. And the body of Christ is the same. The body of Christ is a wonderfully diverse unit, many parts and one body. And the reality is we will probably all struggle with, with both of those things at some time in our lives, and perhaps we have a propensity to struggle with one more than the other. But God says, as Stephen was saying, so I, I don't mean to say God and then Stephen in the same breath in case you, um, but what God says and what Stephen reminded us of this morning is that, as Jesus says, are you not much more valuable? That human beings, all of us, have this intrinsic value. This morning is Harvest Sunday, and it's wonderful to see the pumpkins and to see the flowers and the cotoneaster and all the beautiful textures and color and shapes and sizes and tastes and smells. Celebrating creation is a wonderful thing. In fact, in the Church of Ireland, there's lots of different seasons. There's Lent and Advent and everything else. There's a season called Trinity. It's the longest time of the year. It lasts for between 20 and 25 weeks, practically half the year, and it's all about celebrating God's goodness in creation. It's all about celebrating the fact that God has made absolutely everything, and we are part of it. Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28 says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God loves diversity. There's birds, there's fish, there's animals that move along the ground. Our harvest is a celebration of, of that wonder and also the fact that we get to partner with God because harvest is about us cultivating flowers and cereal and fruit and vegetables and partnering with God in good ways to do good things to feed people, to feed animals. God loves diversity, and He loves unity. One of the challenges for us is that, as those verses say in Genesis, we are not just part of God's creation, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. And that's something to be celebrated and to give thanks to God for. It's a tremendous privilege that we have been given the responsibility and the joy of governing creation of being the stewards of what actually belongs to God. One of the challenges we know of recent decades is the fact that we have in many ways mismanaged God's creation. And so in recent years, and this is happening on a continuing basis, there are species of animals and plants which are disappearing. They're gone. And so the diversity of God's creation is actually gradually by us being diminished. There are animals that we will not see. There are plants which no longer exist because their habitats have gone. And by and large, because we as human beings have removed those habitats or destroyed those habitats. 
God loves diversity. God created diversity. And he loves unity. And creation is a unity. And we're discovering something that we didn't fully understand and still don't fully understand, is that if you tinker with one part of creation, you affect the whole thing. And so we maybe thought, well, we might be able to do something there to, to make it better for ourselves. It might not be better for everyone else or for every animal, but we'll do it. And we discover not only do we, we, we tinker with that little patch, we, we tinker with the whole thing. And so we realize, and we're realizing that creation is a unity. You mess with one part of it, you mess with the whole thing. But the wonderful news is that in Jesus Christ, God is making everything new. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the, is the sign, is the proof that God has redeemed creation through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Last week, Stephen was helping us to think about the unity of God in the diversity of God. We believe that there are three distinct persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, this perfect community of unity, and yet there are three distinct persons in one. And so that's why community is the very heart of who we are as Christian family. And what we're looking at last week is that for us to be part of this required for Jesus to be rejected from that community for a time for us to be accepted. And so it was as if, as if the community was broken open so that we could enter in and become those who are in Christ and because we are in Christ, we are part of the community. We have actually been brought in through Christ into the community, and that community has its center, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God. God loves diversity, and God loves unity. Creation shouts that aloud. Harvest shouts that aloud. As we were mentioning at the start of the service, our laws are going to change here in Northern Ireland in a week's time, it looks like. We're praying that there, there may be developments between now and then. But what's going to happen is going to diminish unity and it's going to diminish diversity. Now, as human beings, over these last decades, we have tried to redefine unity and we have tried to redefine diversity. But actually, unity and diversity are God's idea. Just look at creation. Just look at the body of Christ. Diversity and unity is God's idea. There's a very helpful website, a very, well, uh, very helpful charity called Both Lives Matter a Northern Irish charity that seeks to safeguard the life of the unborn child and also the life of pregnant mothers. And they have a, a very helpful but, but shocking set of statistics that are on the front of their web page. And uh, one I was aware of and one I imagine you're aware of too because it was controversial a number of months ago but was actually um, ratified in court as being clear and true information. 
the fact that because we in Northern Ireland did not adopt the 1967 Abortion Act, there are 100,000 people alive today who wouldn't have otherwise been alive. That's 5% of the population of Northern Ireland. I'll give you two other statistics, which I find appalling, but uh, and, and, and I find very shocking. In 2015, in England and Wales, there were 700,000, 697,000 live births, 185,000 abortions. One quarter of the population of England and Wales is aborted every year, 25%. For every four people, for every three people we see, there's one boy or girl who never saw the light of day in England and Wales. The World Health Organization estimates that globally there are around 40 to 50 million abortions carried out every year. Our governmental and legal position in Northern Ireland is going to increase that number. We're going to add to that statistic of 40 to 50 million abortions per year. There's only a handful of the abortions that were to safeguard the life of the mother. There's also going to be an undermining not just of the sanctity of life, but also the sanctity of marriage. When Jesus was asked by some Pharisees if it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason, he referred to God's original design and purpose. Haven't you read, he said, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Distinct genders are God's idea, and He wants us to celebrate that. Distinct genders of two people entering into marriage and becoming one is God's idea. It reflects the way God works. It reflects creation itself. Distinctness entering into oneness in marriage. Diversity in unity. Everything else is man-made and is contrary to God's will. Vance Havner said that we Christians are like snowflakes. We are frail, but when we stick together, we can stop traffic. This series is about life together. Over these years, we're looking at the whole area of how do we live our lives in patterns that help us be open to the Spirit of God. How do we exercise spiritually? Just as we exercise physically, how do we exercise spiritually? And so we've been looking at things like rest and simplicity and fasting. We've been looking at solitude and silence. In this seven weeks, we're looking at the whole area of community 
and submission. Community sounds such a warm and positive thing. Submission sounds such a challenging thing. But what the Bible tells us is there is no community without submission. That the community of the body of Christ came about because Jesus Christ came to live as a human being. He came to be a servant. And so Jesus, as we've mentioned before, submitted to everyone. He submitted to his disciples. He submitted to his parents. He submitted to the religious authorities. He submitted to the government. He even submitted unto death. And because of his submission, we have become the body of Christ. And so the challenge for us, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The power of the Christian community lies not in its uniformity, but in its unity. Jesus didn't pray for us to all be alike. Paul celebrates the fact there are Jews and there are Gentiles, there are, there are those who are free, there are those who are slaves. He, he recognizes the whole diverse tapestry of the body of Christ. I think sometimes we think of the church as a group of people who are all alike and who all like each other. That's not what the church is meant to be at all. The church is meant to be a group of people who aren't alike and who often don't like each other at all. There's very little power and transformation in a group of people who are just friends because they like each other. The church is much more challenging. It's much more powerful than that. The church is the hope of the world because the church is people of diversity. Even though they're not alike, even though they may not like each other, learning to love each other in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus chose 12 men as apostles to walk with him in the last three years of his life. One of them was Simon the Zealot, seen by the Roman authorities as a terrorist. One was Matthew the tax collector who worked for the Roman authorities. I imagine those men utterly despised one another. And yet Jesus said, come, let's learn to love each other. And we read story after story of the disciples bickering and trying to get one up on each other. And, and, and I imagine we, we don't even read the worst of it. We just get a taste of it. The transformational power of the church to change the world and the transformational power of this community for us to be transformed and changed comes in unity, not in uniformity. So I want to encourage us to live a life of true community by submission. And what that means, and we'll talk about this over the weeks ahead, I just want to highlight two. And one is this, to have equal concern for every part of the body. So, if, if we are a person who thinks, 
I have nothing to offer, I have nothing to give, I'm not sure I'm even noticed or even of value to the body. Then what you need to hear today is the truth of Jesus Christ. You are the body of Christ. You're a part of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ needs you. The, the aspect of the body of Christ that you need to learn to value is the one that you see when you look in the mirror because you are part of the body of Christ. Or perhaps your main struggle is thinking, why aren't other people more like me? Why don't people understand me? Why don't they get what I get? And the challenge for us in that is to look at other people and say, you're the body of Christ. You're a part of it. And this body of Christ needs you. I wonder, are there members of this church family, are there members of the global fellowship of the family of God that we really don't want to get to know because of their age or because of their gender or because of their background or whatever it happens to be? Are there people that you and I gravitate towards and there are others that we don't bother with because we think they're too old or they're too young or they just don't seem important enough to us? Are we just getting to know the people that look most like us and not getting to know the people that look most different to us? Because what the Bible tells us is the place of personal transformation for us comes by getting to know the people who are part of the body of Christ who are most different to ourselves. The real place of transformation comes by working alongside people that we just don't understand. We don't get their sense of humor, and they don't get ours. That's the place of transformation. The place of transformation is even beyond that. The place of transformation is submitting to other people. Submitting to other people that we don't like, that we don't agree with, and we think are wrong. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus submitted to the 12 people around him. In fact, he submitted to every single human being. He laid down his life. Greater love is no one than this, Jesus said. Then he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And what did he command? Love each other. In other words, he says, if you love me, you will enter into community and you will follow my footsteps of submitting to people who don't look like you, who don't like you, and you don't like them, and you don't agree with what they say, and you might not think they're important, and you might not think you're important, and what I want you to do is I want you to put out the hand, and I want you to offer them community. And how do you do that? You do it by submitting to them. And how do we do that? Well, Paul says, you, you make sure you treat everyone as part of the body of Christ, equally importantly. And the second thing he says is, you rejoice with those who rejoice, and you weep with those who weep. Our tendency is to place ourselves 
at the center of the world, at the center of the universe. And so when we feel joy, we want people to rejoice with us. When we feel sorrow, we want people to sorrow with us. What Jesus says is, no, we look out from ourselves. We place Christ at the center of the community. And whenever we are filled with joy and we come across someone who is weeping, we get alongside them and we weep with them. We won't feel like it, but we weep with them. Or even harder, we feel our hearts are broken and we come across someone who is honored, someone who thinks things seem to be going so well for, that their life seems to be so blessed in so many ways, and God says, rejoice with them. Even though you feel that your heart's been pulled out of your body, rejoice with the people who are rejoicing. That's what it means to submit. That's what it means to offer community. It's to avoid that reaction which is, how do I feel about this situation? And actually, like Christ, to come alongside people, to come into the midst of, as it were, seeing Lazarus' tomb in front of us. And what did Jesus do? He wept. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. Now, this is a real challenge for us because in Western society, we value independence. We value individualism and we have a suspicion of community. And we see vulnerability as a weakness. So it was last week whenever we heard about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who purposely brought three people with him, Peter, James, and John, because Part of it was he wanted them to pray, and part of it was he wanted to be vulnerable in front of them. And so he brought three people to come and to see him hanging on by a thread. He could have so easily gone and said, I'll go and do this. I don't want anyone to see this. But yet he even told them, my heart is overcome with sorrow, even to the point of death and sweat came down like blood. And he purposely invited three people to see him in the hardest moment of his life. That's vulnerability. And vulnerability is to do with submission, is to do with community. The writer Henri Nguyen said this, in true community, we are windows constantly offering each other new views of the mystery of God's presence in our lives, a truth, a beauty, a love which is greater, fuller, and richer than we ourselves can grasp. So often we've reduced the Christian journey to praying a sinner's prayer and seeking to read the Bible and pray to become more like Jesus until we see him face to face. And all that is true. But on earth, an extremely powerful aspect of transformation in the Christian life can only be found in community. It cannot be found alone. 
no matter if we know the Bible from back to front and front to back, no matter if we pray morning and night, we will not become like Jesus Christ unless we engage with community, unless we submit to other people who aren't like us and may not even like us, because that's what Jesus did, and that's what it means to live with Jesus at the center of our lives. Jesus who said, greater love is no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. I think one of the things that keeps us from that is the thought that servanthood is being servile, that somehow we will lose our dignity or identity by becoming the servant to others. But here's the thing about Christian service. It's entirely voluntary. It happens where and when and with whom God chooses and we say yes to. Martin Luther uh, said it like this. A Christian man, he means man and woman, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. So here's the thing. Here's what makes our servanthood not servile. Is it actually we choose when and who and where to serve. And we do so by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And life in all of its fullness comes whenever we submit to the Father and to the Spirit in Jesus Christ. That's the way Jesus lived his life. He did what, he, what the Father did. He said what the Father said. He went wherever the wind of the Spirit led him. And he submitted every time, putting his own desires aside. And that's where his joy came from. That's where his fullness came from by living in community with God the Father and voluntarily doing everything the Father asked him to do. And so, paradoxically, it is in serving other people that we discover who we are in Christ and we grow in confidence and we grow in identity and we grow in joy and we enter into this wonderful community where there's nourishment and there's protection and there's significance and there's formation and there's life. So often in the Christian life we wonder, I wonder why I don't have the deep sense of joy the Bible talks about. And so often it's because we're living in glorious and splendid isolation. No one gets to see our vulnerabilities. No one understands our weaknesses and we don't understand theirs. I'll just finish with the words of this hymn. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey and companions on the road. We are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you, speak the peace you long to hear. I will weep when you are weeping. When you laugh, I'll laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow till we've seen this journey through. 
When we sing to God in heaven, we shall find such harmony. Born of all, we have known together of Christ's love and agony. Brother, sister, let me serve you. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. Shall we stand?